So today's scripture reading is Jonah 1, 1 through 16. It's found on page 774, or you can flip to it in your apps. I will be reading from the ESV version. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner parts of the ship and had laden down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to, them, to him, What shall we do to you, that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they call out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Please welcome Pastor Jeff as he preaches to us from Jonah. Thank you. Good morning. Uh, my name is Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here at Crossbridge. It's so good to worship with you this morning. If you're just joining us for the first time or maybe the first few times, we started a new sermon series through the book of Jonah. Last week we kicked it off and we kind of did an overview uh, of the whole story. And, and this morning we are kind of diving in, uh, uh, exploring uh, this first chapter. But before we get there, I wanted to begin this morning by sharing two stories two stories from my own life. About 15 years ago or so, I was working at a business school in Shanghai, 
And at the time, there was another person that was also interning there around my age. We were working in different departments, but we would see each other here and there. And so from time to time, we would grab lunch together because we were in a similar life stage, and neither one of us were, were native to Shanghai. We were expats. And you know, as a Christian, as someone who loved Jesus and who uh, was committed to following Jesus and who grew up attending church, church was just a big part of my life. Maybe it, it is for you. And I'm not even talking about faith or beliefs or doctrine or anything, your relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm just literally talking about all the things that come with being part of a church community, being part of the, the life of the church or a youth group, or worship team, or serving in different areas, or church events like the picnic we had yesterday that some of you guys were at, right? Or even having family members who, who go to your church or church, or add to that family friends and aunties and uncles, probably just a good number of your own friend group who also goes to your church. And so because of this, right, sometimes, I don't know for you, but for me, it's really hard to talk about what you're doing this weekend, what you did this weekend, or what you've been up to recently without mentioning something that has to do with the life of the church. And again, right, I'm not talking about faith or gospel presentation or theology or doctrine or anything. I'm just saying that if someone were to ask me what I did yesterday, uh, what my plans are for the week- weekend, I, and I were to be kind of more truthful and upfront and explicit, I'd probably say something like, oh yeah, you know, I was at a, a picnic yesterday that, you know, my church held, or I, I was at a barbecue that my fellowship uh, had on Friday that kicked off the, the new year, you know, or uh, my church has this event this week or whatever, or I didn't get to sleep in on Sunday or this morning because I'm right here right now. You see what I mean? So, you know, obviously, you know, when I got lunch with this fellow intern, we naturally have these types of conversations as we kind of get to know one another, as we ask about you know, what we're up to, what our plans are, what we like to do in our spare time. And, and so here's the thing that I realized, that you will talk about the things that are most important, most relevant to you. Sometimes without even realizing it, but other people might notice, especially if they have numerous, multiple conversations with you. Like I'm sure for some of you, if you talk to me long enough, like that somehow the, I'll find a way to talk about Apple products or credit cards and churning travel points or smart home tech or general, general life hacks or cleaning and organizing, right? Somehow, some way, if I'm talking to you, one of those topics will find its way into my conversation with you because it's relevant to me, it's important to me, it's something that I value. And it's not the most important thing, right? But it's something that uh, I care about, right? And I like to talk about. And so that's kind of what happened with this other person, right? As I'm sharing uh, like two sentences about what I do for fun, the weird thing is that, you know what, he asked me, he stopped me, he says, oh, you know, it seems like church or faith or whatever, this thing is is pretty important to you, right? And in that moment in my mind, there were alarms ringing in my head. It was as if maybe it was the Holy Spirit kind of convicting me and signaling with these air traffic batons that the, the runway was all clear to kind of talk about this more, right? To kind of segue into talking about Jesus and faith and to, to go for it. It's an invitation. But instead of saying, you know what, actually it is. It is important to me. You know, and then asking him, like, well, what, what do you think about it? What's your take on this? What's your experience? I, I panicked, right? I, I don't know. Maybe in the moment it's like I didn't want to talk about it. Maybe in, in the moment I was answering for that person, right, and saying, well, well I don't want to. 
I don't want to bother him with this stuff. Maybe he doesn't actually want to talk about it, even though he actually kind of signaled that he did. And so what I did was I said, you know, it is. And then I changed the subject. It, it, for me, at the moment, it was as about a conscious as a decision as it gets to not share the gospel, or at least not initiate a conversation that could lead to more deeper and more fruitful conversations about faith and uh, God and Jesus and all this stuff. And it, you know, after that internship, I never saw him again. Second story from my life. Before I left New York uh, to return to Boston, I was going to a new barber. If you know me, again, I like to keep my hair short because I hate it when my hair touches my ears. And so I go pretty often, like every other week, because my hair grows really fast. Now, to be honest, right, to be really honest with you guys, as a pastor, you know, even sometimes as much as we love God, as much as we love what we do, sometimes, especially those of us who are introverted, you know, we like our downtime. You know, we, especially like, you know, sometimes if I go get my hair cut, I just, I just want to go in, do my thing, and leave. All right, be on my way. I don't want to talk. I've been talking all week. I'm talking right now. Right, I just want to get, come here and get what I came here to get, right, which is a, a haircut. And so the first several times that I, I, I go to this barber, I went in and got my hair cut and left, right? But at the time, God had been convicting me that maybe this was not right. You know, at the time, I was also leading uh, our college fellowship through, through the book of Jonah. And, you know, maybe on that day, I wasn't participating, engaging in certain pastoral responsibilities. I wasn't wearing the pastor hat or whatever. And it was a, but I realized it wasn't necessarily a break from being a follower of Jesus, so maybe I wasn't preparing a sermon. Maybe I wasn't responding to emails or whatever. But realizing that God's call to make disciples was still there. Because that command wasn't made to pastors. It was made to those who choose to follow Christ, which includes pastors, right? And so as I was reflecting and praying, you know, I realized, well, what am I going to do? And this required a little bit of self-awareness, right? I'm a creature of habit. I'm very okay with change, but at least change that I instill. But at the end of the day, I'm still a creature of habit. I like routines and all that stuff. So you know, I go to the same three or four restaurants. I always order the same thing. Maybe that's good. Maybe that's bad or being picky or whatever. But what does usually end up happening is they remember me because, it's, oh, it's the guy that always order, you know, the spicy chicken sandwich from Chick-fil-A or order the fish, fish thing from, from Formosa Taipei, right? Uh, and I know because when I, look at, when I go, they always have this look like, oh, it's this guy again. And I realized that, you know, I could, I could use this maybe for God's kingdom. Because if I'm always going to the same three or four places, then I have, I have the opportunity to build relationships there, to be a bridge to these people. And so with this barbershop, it meant, you know, actually taking the time to, to strike up a conversation, dying to myself, dying to my insecurity, dying to my uncomfort, uh, discomfort or whatever, dying to my introvertedness uh, and all that stuff, right? And, and I found out that, you know, a lot of the barbers there were from Israel, at least they were Israeli. And I, and I had been to Israel, I'd studied in Jerusalem um, for some time in college, for a few weeks in college. And I know Hebrew and all that stuff, right? So that, that ended up coming up in conversation as I got to know my barber. And his name was Barry, and he, as he got to know me. And as we talked, you know, we talked about the things, again, right, that are most important, most relevant to you. And so people will notice. 
And he asked about what I did, about what being a pastor is like. And we, that led to conversations about the differences between being a pastor and a priest. And I had to tell him that, yes, I could be married. I could have kids and all that stuff. I told him about how I was leading my church's college group. And how I was taking them to Urbana, which is this conference that has to do with missions. Right? And obviously, I was, as I was explaining to him, I avoided all this Christianese lingo. Or I tried to explain some of it to him. And actually, even after a few weeks after I came back, he, he remembered, and we began to have more conversations. Now, a few weeks before I moved to Boston, I came in one day for one of my last haircuts. The very first thing, the strangest thing, the very first thing that he says to me is, what do you think about the name Jonah? And I was like, say what? He's like, yeah, yeah, Jonah, it's a prophet name, right? Now, what do you think about it? Because I, I, you know, I don't know too much about him, but you know, some family members are, are thinking about naming their kid Jonah. I'm like, what do I think about Jonah? Let me tell you about Jonah. Because at the time, again, I was leading, leading a Bible study through Jonah. And from there, it was like, okay, it was as if God was giving me this opportunity with a person that he's placed in my life. And to explain what Jonah was all about, which I did. And, and not just like about the person of Jonah, because right, I didn't want to trash the name or whatever, but, but about how it connected, right? How the, the beautiful message about Jonah's experience and Jonah's life in the book of Jonah, how it connected to the grace of God and the gospel. Two stories, two different points in my life, two attitudes that I think these stories illustrate. Attitudes that maybe you, you have too when it comes to thinking about the gospel, thinking about reaching out. So remember what I said last week, right? That, that the story of Jonah is also a story about God, who he is, what he's like. And this first chapter, as we dive in, is going to give us a glimpse into the kind of God that we worship, his sovereignty and his mission of salvation, which cannot be thwarted, not even by his own chosen but rebellious instrument of deliverance. So put simply, the big idea of this chapter is this, that you can run from God, but you can't outrun God or his plan. And if this is true, it has implications, I think, for how we approach and think about reaching out to the people that God has placed in our lives and our own attitudes about that. So let's go to the passage. The first thing that we're going to see in these first two verses is this, that God calls us to arise and go. Jonah 1, 1 to 2, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. So God called Jonah to go to Nineveh. Right? He tells Jonah, get up and go. Leave Israel. Go to Assyria. Go to Nineveh, that great, significant, important city, and do what? Call out against it. Here, to, to call out means that it opens up the possibility for repentance, for them to turn away from their evil ways, right? God is actively seeking Nineveh's repentance. And why? Verse 2 gives us the reason. For, for their evil has come up before me. Now, the word evil here, it's interesting. It can also mean difficulty or disaster, and so there's a bit of ambiguity here that I think the, the author is intentionally trying to drive at. 
You see, on the one hand, Nineveh, being the capital of the Assyrian Empire, was a representative of the unceasing evil and cruelties that the Ninevehs were guilty of. At the same time, too, Nineveh, perhaps, were encountering, experiencing, suffering difficulties and disasters. And so the ambiguity of the word allows a little bit of both, maybe. That Nineveh is an evil city that has suffered disasters. But rather than simply sending Jonah to go and proclaim judgment on the city for its evils, like, you know, it's, it's over, it's done, game over, right? God mercifully allows them a chance to turn, to repent. God is actively seeking Nineveh's repentance. And so now Jonah called, uh, God called Jonah to go to Nineveh, right? But what about us? may not be the same specific call, but... God does commission us to go to the nations. And so what's the connection here? I think to, to some degree, we need to be careful about drawing too direct of a connection, right, between Jonah and us today. Otherwise, we're going to touch upon this later. We might end up with some really strange applications and implications for our lives. Because Jonah's specific situation is not like ours, per se. His call is not a paradigm for all future generations of believers. I remember one of our former lead pastors would often say, like, you may not actually want a burning bush experience like Moses or another call, like a specific call like some of the other Old Testament prophets, because usually when they get it, life is really hard for them. As we examine the life of Moses and of these other prophets, it's not easy. But again, if we get it, we obey. But here's the thing. We may not have a specific call. Some of us do. But we do have a comprehensive call. And so we don't need to wait to receive a call because we've already received a commission, the great commission. Right? Matthew 28, Jesus said and came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So God has already spoken on the matter. The word of the Lord has already come to us as clear as it came to Jonah. Arise and go. Go and make disciples. Go be that bridge. Go and reach out to the people that God has put in your life. And so what does this mean for us? For some of us, it means that we need to stop waiting for a sign from God to reach out to the people that God has put in our life. We need to stop waiting for God to tell us, you know, go. Go there or go here. Or go, go talk to that person. Start a conversation there. Because he already told us. It's in his word. It's in the Bible. You know, I remember... A good friend of mine, he was sharing with me that in his last year of college, late one night, really late, he ended up having one of those 2 a.m. conversations because really at 2 a.m. when, you know, all your inhibitions are down, you start to open up, you be more self-aware of your emotions. Maybe I'm just speaking as a guy, maybe, you know. It's at 2 a.m. where we have really those heartfelt conversations. And so he had one of those 2 a.m. conversations with his roommate, and they got to talking about faith. And he got to sharing about his relationship with Jesus. And afterwards, he was sharing with me, conveying to me that his regret over why he waited so long to talk to his roommate about Jesus. This guy 
who he had been living with for more than a year. This guy that he would see in the morning, the afternoon, and the evening. One of the guys that I, that I know was planning on going to Egypt on a STM trip a few summers ago. He, he had found out that he needed, though, he needed to take the summer class that was really only offered during the same time as this missions trip. And so, how do you approach this? Rather than thinking, you know, well, it's answered already. Well, clearly I have to take this class, right? Guess I'm not going. We actually, we, we spent some time praying together for, for a while. Like, and he did a little bit of research. He contacted the school. And, and miraculously, like God's providence, he, he provided a way through the school, allowing him to take this cl- class at another school that had it at a non-conflicting time. So that ended up being that he could take both. He could go do both, which is awesome. And so since we're not waiting for a specific call, but have already received a commission, the right time is right now. Now, it's not just, you know, I'll get to it after I finish school, I'll, you know, the baby, I'll wait until the baby is born, wait a few years, or after the kids go to college, or after I retire from work. At my previous church, I remember hearing the testimony of one of these older brothers on the Chinese side. He was sharing about how his time on a short-term mission trip was eye-opening for him. Because his mentality was always, you know, I will wait until retirement to do missions or to reach out to the people in my life when I have more time. But after having the opportunity to go, he realized the urgency of this, that he, this, this couldn't wait. And that even for him, at least what he felt God is calling him to do was to even use his vacation days to go on these types of trips. I mean, that's, that's amazing, right? And God commissions us to go to the nations. But I think when we think about our situation and the world that we live in today, we should also realize that in our current day and age, the nations are coming to us, even as we go to the nations, right? Because of globalization and immigration, even crises in, around the world, missions is at our doorstep, or at least maybe not missions, but being missional, the opportunity to be missional is at our doorstep. Globalization, secularization, immigration, these things have ultimately mixed those people who follow Jesus with those people who don't. And the question is, what are we going to do about it? We have ministries that from a year or two ago, like Afghan neighbor ministries, we reached out to them because they're here, right? We've had people who invited their Muslim neighbors to come to VBS this past summer, which was mind-blowing, right? I remember when I was in seminary, I was just astounded when I learned that one of my classmates in, at Gordon-Conwell had come from Africa to plant a church in the U.S., right? And it kind of broke down my limited, imperialistic, whatever, misaligned view that it was always people in America that go do missions in other countries, Right? Yet this guy, along with the support from his church in another country in Africa, saw the need to do missions here on the East Coast. Right? He saw, like, man, the people in Boston, the people in the Northeast, they really need Jesus. And he's coming from miles, hundreds of miles away to reach people that are literally a mile down from us. At our doorstep. 
which is just crazy to think about. God calls us to arise and go. Second thing that we see from this passage is this, that when, when God says arise and go, sometimes we arise and run. Now, verse 3, Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare, went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. And Jonah fled from the presence of the Lord. So we've already seen from last week Jonah's true motive, right? This is the purpose of us kind of reading the whole book, the whole story of Jonah in one sitting. He fled because he didn't want to see Nineveh saved. Jonah 4, 2, right? He prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew, I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. And, and even in our passage, we see the extent of that fleeing, right? That Jonah would rather choose death over obedience. Right? When that storm came, he told these sailors, verse 12, pick me up, throw me into the sea, and then the, the, the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that the great tempest, this great storm has come upon you. Now, I know that when we read this, we might think, oh, man, that is so noble of him. Man, he's going to sacrifice himself for these, to save these sailors. But when we think about the, the broader story, right, of Jonah, when you think about chapter 4, I might venture to say that maybe Jonah knew that killing himself wasn't the only way to stop the storm, but it was the way he wanted I think Jonah 4.3 helps us understand Jonah's attitude, right? Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life for me. For it is better for me to die than to live. Right? He would rather die than to see his enemies saved. Likewise, too, sometimes I think we, we refuse to carry out God's commission. Now, we may not run away physically like Jonah did, but we still run away might just look a little bit different. Maybe it's because we don't want to reach out to certain people. Maybe it's you know, that people group or these people. Right? Like, I don't think they, they don't deserve it. They don't deserve God's grace. And, or maybe I don't want to be the one who, to be the instrument, the agent of God's grace to these people. Maybe it's not the people that we're reaching out to. Maybe it's just the very act of reaching out Man, I just, I don't want to do it, right? That was like me with these two stories. Or maybe we realize we have just this carefree attitude, laissez-faire attitude towards reaching out to the people God's put in our lives, believing that, you know what, hey, God's plan is going to happen anyway, right? Pastor Jeff said you can run from God, but you can't outrun God. So you know what? Let's let it happen. Let's let God do his thing, right? Why bother? We see ourselves as Jonah, right? And so we're like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here. I'm, I'm waiting for that storm. I'm waiting for God to send that fish to, to twist my arm to get me to obey. 
I'm waiting for him to put me into this submission hold so that I can finally submit. Even though that's probably a misapplication of Jonah, but maybe believing that Jonah's call, right? We look at his call, and then it's a paradigm for our call. And so we're waiting for the storm. We're waiting for the fish. We've already been called. We've already received a great commission. So up to this point, we've talked about two very basic ideas, right? God calls us to arise and go, and sometimes our response is that we arise and run. Here's a third thing that we see in our passage, and the main thing that I believe that our author is trying to drive at, right? That you can run from God, but you can't outrun God. What does that mean exactly? It means this, verses 4 to 16, the bulk of our passage that no one, not even Jonah, can thwart God's sovereignty and his mission of salvation. God has a plan to save and bring about salvation, to, to bring that to the peoples. You see, the phrase, presence of the Lord, is repeated three times in this chapter. It's mentioned several times that Jonah was fleeing, running away from the presence of the Lord. Now, we might think, about why? Why would a Jewish prophet who himself in this passage, right, verse 9 says, I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Why would he flee from the presence of the Lord? He should know that God is everywhere, right? We know that. He knows that. What exactly was he fleeing from, right? Jonah is is common back in the ancient Near East, right, That, that God's call came in the context of believing communities, so it wasn't that he believed that the God of Israel was limited to one location. It was, it was that he believed that if he left Israel, right, this geographical location, that God wouldn't be able to call him, which is not much better. But that's kind of why he went to Joppa, why he found a ship going to Tarshish, which is what our worship leader Bonin remarked on, right? It's the exact opposite direction, doing a complete 180, But the way the story unfolds in this chapter shows that this is not enough to stop God's plan of salvation for Nineveh. God intends for this message of salvation, of judgment, of repentance to go forth to these people. No matter the great distance between Nineveh and Joppa, God's sovereignty and his reign extends beyond that. God is actively present throughout this entire chapter. And we know he only says a few lines, but his presence is made known. He is the one who sends the great wind. The mariners cast lots about who they're going to throw or what they're going to do, who they're going to throw over. And what do you know? The lot fell on Jonah. Proverbs 16.33, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. God is also the one who seizes the sea from its raging after the sailors call out to him. No one, not even Jonah, can thwart God's sovereignty and his mission of salvation. And the same for, goes for us today, that, right? That no one, not even you, not even I, can thwart God's sovereignty and his mission of salvation. And so when we take that, like, there's three implications, I think, there's a, uh, of this big idea for us today. The first is this, that God's plan of salvation will be accomplished. It will happen. We said in one of these earlier sermons, right, that God is the only being in the entire universe who always completes his to-do list. Period. 
John, uh, Jesus says in John 6, 37 to 40, right? All that the Father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For This is the will of the, my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And so for us, that means we can find assurance, deep, deep assurance in the truth that God will never fail in saving his people. He will accomplish his plan. A second implication for us this morning, God's plan of salvation will be accomplished with or without us. Now, I think we need to be careful, right, of drawing too close of a connection between Jonah and I, we, uh, and ourselves. We should be worried of drawing from this text that the idea is that, you know what, God is going to chase after me. He's going to run after me to get me to obey. Or that God is going to twist my arm, right, put me in that chokehold and, and say, do it or else. Because the fact of the matter is that God may not necessarily be as insistent with us as he was with Jonah, at least on a personal and an outspoken level. Right? I think this is the distinction between a direct call to a person that Jonah received and the widespread call to a people that we receive. And so the implication might be is that given enough resistance, as we continue to harden our hearts maybe, that we could maybe suppress and stifle God's call, God's commission, God's conviction. But in doing so, we either risk, run the risk of provoking him to righteous anger or simply we risk missing out on the joy and the reward of participating and sharing in God's plan of redemption. It's the very plan that he has invited us to be in. Neither are preferable. Third and last implication for us this morning, that our inadequacies cannot impede God's plan. But neither should we make disciples without being prepared. Right? The fact of the matter is, if God is sovereign, which he is, and if he will accomplish his mission of salvation, which he will, means that we can't mess it up. You can't mess up God's plan. We can't mess it up whether that's done intentionally out of rebellion like Jonah or perhaps, perhaps unintentionally. Like for some of us, sometimes we feel like, oh man, I, I said the wrong thing, or I said this thing, or I said that word, and it totally ruined everything. It's the end of the world. And I think sometimes maybe we give ourselves too much credit thinking that if we just say one word wrong to this person that we're reaching out to, well, there goes that person's chance at salvation. It's ruined. Sorry, God, I stopped your plan. That that person will never believe the gospel because I messed up. Apparently that we are so powerful, right, that we can stop God from saving the people that he wills to save. 
And hopefully when I put it that way, this should give us some peace and some assurance and keep us from being paralyzed by our mistakes, our inadequacies, or even our insecurities. That our inadequacies and our insecurities should not keep us from obeying God. Now keep in mind, right, on the flip side, it doesn't mean that we are, hey, we're just going to go and make disciples without being prepared at all, right? Now this doesn't mean, hey, I'm just going to wing it, you know? We should be prepared, right? We should think about what does it mean to share the gospel? What is the gospel really about? Why do I believe that it is so important that you know this good news about Jesus? But as we do that, as we reflect on these things, we have a confidence in the fact that the responsibility of reaching God's people, reaching these people is ours. But the responsibility of saving them is not. And there is a big difference there. That job has already been accomplished by God. We are messengers, not saviors. And so you can run from God, but you cannot outrun God, his plan, his mission. And no one can thwart God's sovereignty and his mission of salvation. And he invites us to be part of that. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we give thanks for the story of Jonah that points us to you, the kind of God that you are, the love and the care that you, and the mercy and grace that you extend to us and to this world and to the people in it even to the people that we might be too quick to judge or to be hesitant about reaching out to. God, we ask for our own hearts that you would help us to examine deep down our own attitudes and our own values and our own priorities and to, to put ourselves before you and to obey, not out of fear, not out of feeling like we are called to, to have our arms twisted, but out of a great joy of participating in seeing more and more people give their lives to you. May your word, may your good news go forth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.